0: The biggest advantage of a podcast is, coincidentally, one of its biggest flaws. You have no idea where I am. You have no idea if I'm sitting in the shower recording this, or if it's someone pretending to be me. You can't see the expression on my face. You can't tell if I'm really sincere about what I'm saying, because it's all in your head. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. (laughs) We'll be back in a second to talk about invisibility. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. If you can see it, you can be it. But what if you
1: never see it? Then what? I want my daughters and all young women to see a field of role models have gone before them and inspire them to what's possible. So I began the Fearless Portraits Project, an art series and podcast profiling notable women of today and recent history. Listen to The Fearless Portraits wherever you get podcasts. More at danlandow.net.
0: So the self-reference and irony runs deep in today's podcast, but I think it's an important idea and I've never seen it discussed this way. So I want to rant about it for a few minutes. Invisibility. I'll know it when I see it. Let's start with this. The best audiobook ever created. The one that had the most impact and maybe the one they spent the most money on couldn't have possibly cost more than $100,000. On the other hand, the best, most realistic, most frightening, most exciting movie might have cost $100 million to make. Why such a gap? When a big pop star makes a record album with no expense spared, maybe they're going to spend a few million bucks. That's it it's much easier to deal in audio than it is to be realistic in video. And then if we go further and talk about other senses, what does it take to make a piece of leather that feels really, really smooth? Or to prepare a restaurant dinner that's the best one you ever had? It's nothing compared to how hard it is to put on a visual spectacular. If we think about the stereo industry, There are plenty of arguments to be had about amplifiers and speakers. There are very few people arguing about whether one TV is better than another one because we know it when we see it. The thing is that our optic nerve isn't really a nerve. It's an extension of our brain. The reason our eyeballs are located where they are instead of someplace more convenient or of higher utility, like the end of our fingertips or in the back, of our shoulders is because they need to be right next to our brain because there's so much information being processed by our eyes. And this, this on one hand, enables human beings to be really good at sensing certain things, really good at identifying something at a glance. How much of the Mona Lisa do you need to see to know it's the Mona Lisa? Lots of people can tell if it's a fake or not. So, the good news and the bad news. Some of the good news first. Placebos, the miracle drug, the ones with few side effects that we can't overdose on, that work so well. Placebos work largely because the action of drugs is invisible. We take a pill, and then something we can't see happens, and we get better. So, the act of taking the pill, the part we can see has most of the power. That's why if you have back pain, you should go see an acupuncturist because you have no idea how back surgery works anyway. But seeing a kind person who's going to give you just a tiny bit of stimulation and expect you're going to get better will actually help you get better than the trauma of back surgery probably will. That placebos in all their forms change our lives. A $100 bottle of wine tastes better, according to the Journal of Wine Economists, than a $10 bottle of wine, unless we switch the labels. Because it's the labels that people can see. It's the wine that people can taste. And we are way better at seeing than we are at tasting. And so we've got all these opportunities. I said at the beginning that this is the secret weapon of podcasts. That it doesn't cost very much for me to show up in your earballs and talk to you in a way that sounds like I'm talking to you. I make this every week from the shower in the back of my office by myself. But I don't get the benefit of the doubt that often comes from when people see something. So I have to work harder. I have to show up in places and leave spaces for you to fill in the blank. Magicians are able to do what they are able to do because they fool us with our eyes, that if you know what to look for, it's very hard to fool somebody. But if we don't know what to look for, misdirection, it gets us every time. David Blaine, not particularly my favorite magician, but certainly the person who made the best magic viral video of all time, did it by showing us something.
1: Your card just left the deck just now. Look through the deck. Your card isn't there. Go ahead and look. Yeah. It's not there. You won't see it there. No. It's nowhere. Here's what we'll do. Harrison, do me a favor, grab uh grab a piece of grab a piece of fruit for me, like a one that we can open up. Yeah, grab a piece of fruit. Good, whatever. And is there can we can we cut this? Can we can we take a knife and put it right there? Yeah. Yeah can put it right here. Say your card out loud. Nine of hearts. Nine of hearts? Yeah. Can you turn this sideways? Sideways? Yeah, so I can cut right through it. Let me not hit your hand. Let's do. Hold. Yeah. See, inside. See there's, see how there's a card in the orange? No way! See how there's one card inside? Please remove it. <laughs> Take it out. Pull it out. Open it up, Harrison. No,
0: that's no no, that's just crazy. Get out of my house. <laughs> okay. You can watch the video at akimbo.link. A friend of mine was in the room where that was recorded, and he saw it. There is no trick photography involved. There's a celebrity in the video. That gives it more credibility. Why? Not because you hear Harrison Ford, but because you see Harrison Ford. So what's the bad news? Well, you're probably ahead of me. So many of the contentious arguments in our culture are due to invisibility. There is an invisibility paradox, because on one hand, It enables us to dream big dreams, to deliver ideas that resonate with people, to have placebos. On the other hand, it causes us to divide and be skeptical because if we can't see it, then we are relying on our own belief systems as opposed to the testimony of our own eyes. And so it's been more than 100 years, and there are still people arguing that evolution, the evolution of species, Darwin's theories, are, quote, just theories. Well, if you understood what the word theory was, you would know that the theory means it's the best available, most proven explanation for how we got here. And the thing that's invisible is five million years of time. We can't visualize it. We don't see it. And so it's easy to say it doesn't exist. and conspiracy theories. We didn't see John Wilkes Booth shoot Abraham Lincoln. We didn't see John F. Kennedy get shot. So it's easy to imagine a conspiracy, an invisible one behind the scenes. That we can watch a sporting event and we don't think there's a conspiracy because we can watch what's happening. That instant replay completely changed the way so many people saw sports. Do
1: you- Wrestling match at the bottom, and Oregon comes out with it. Patrick Chung may have been at the bottom there. But hold on. Oklahoma's got the football. And they're saying, wait a minute, the pileup's over there. We've got the ball over
0: here. Because suddenly, you didn't have to take the referee's word for it. You could see it right there in front of you. And in fact, one of the reasons they had to put in instant replay in the rules is because the fans couldn't bear to know that they had seen it, really seen it. There it is on the instant replay. It really happened and that the ref was wrong. That one of the things that troubles people about vaccines is they don't see them working. That plenty of people who will take a pill, something else they don't see working, are willing to do that, partly because they grew up with it, and partly because the act of taking a pill is analogous to the act of eating something. It feels, to our brain, visually, safer than someone poking us, breaking the blood barrier and then something mysterious happening inside. But the people who understand the mechanics of how vaccinations work have no qualms whatsoever about having their kids vaccinated because they can visualize it. That one word, visualize, what does that even mean? It means pretending we can actually see it. And now here we are on the brink of a worldwide apocalypse, all around the idea of climate change. Climate change. Climate, uh, it's sort of invisible. It's not weather. And change, well, it hasn't happened yet, or at least not yet, for someone to be able to see. And when they do see it, when they see the ice storm in Texas, or they see the flood in Miami, they just see that. Because it takes a different part of our brain to visualize something more complicated than that. (laughs) Out of every 10,000 little tiny bits of air, only four, four out of 10,000 are carbon. And it turns out that little tiny microscopic bit that we cannot see, that is the lever that is changing our world. But because it's invisible, we have a problem. And so this paradox, on one hand, things that are invisible let us tell stories. Things that are invisible let us create, yes, Brian's, let us create movements, let us create belief. But at the very same time, we are hardwired for millions of years to have the optic nerve dominate. That when we feel stuck, when we are trying to engage with someone who, quote, sees the world differently than we do, I think what we have to realize is that seeing is not the same as believing. That what is coming in through our optic nerve is what is coming in but it might not be the same as what is true. It might not be the same as what is worth understanding. So we need to name it. We have an invisibility paradox problem right here. We need to name it. Podcasts are an invisibility opportunity. So do you traffic in the invisible? Do you work in something that will be more embraced if it became visible? How do we make it visible? And the last part of the punchline is this. The number one way that people change their mind is in culture. People like us do things like this. There are no cannibals running around because it's very hard to find friends who will embrace the fact that you are a cannibal. That peer-to-peer, side-by-side, person-to-person, we know what we see when we see a scowl on a friend's face or a family member's face. People like us do things like this. The way we make the invisible visible is by putting ourselves in the middle of it. By showing up with a smile, with dignity, with respect, and helping other people understand what we understand. That's my rant. I know you can't see me, but I'm smiling with gratitude. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with some questions from previous episodes. But first, here's a message from our sponsor No ad this week. In fact, an ad about the ads. If you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a new button up there. Let me explain it to you really quick. My friends run akimbo.com, a B Corp that hosts the workshops that you've been hearing about here. But the Akimbo podcast is separate from that. And so going forward, every once in a while, I will talk about some of the workshops my friends are running. But in the meantime, I'd like to talk about what you're interested in. In fact, I'd like you to talk about what you're interested in. So, if you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a way that you can upload a 30 second ad for a nonprofit, for a cause, or even for a hobby that you care about. Nothing commercial, please. Of course, I can't promise I'll be able to include all of them. There are guidelines at akimbo.link about how to do it and what to include and not include. The focus is 100% non commercial and nonprofit. I can't wait to see what you've got going on. or any previous episode, or just about anything else, please visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. couple interesting questions this week. Here we go.
1: Hey, Seth. This is Vance from Oklahoma City. I've noticed in a lot of your episodes, you start with an illustration, such as a purple cow or a ratchet, and then you tie that illustration in later in the show. I'm wondering how you come up with these illustrations, or if there's a process behind it. I'm trying to get better at presenting my own ideas, and a lot of other people may be as well, and it might be useful to share your process. Thanks.
0: Thanks for this, Vance. Here is the method. You ready? Let's write down the steps. The first step. Find something you would like to explain. Explain in the sense of not just reiterating some facts about the thing, but explain it in context. Explain it through story. Explain it so that people understand it the way that you understand it. Second, think of an extreme, an extraordinary, a ridiculous, an obvious, a subtle, any way to tell a story about the thing you're trying to explain and then try it out. If you do and it works, Do it again to the next person, changing it just a little bit. If you do and it doesn't work, try it again on the next person, changing it just a little bit. Within a few tries, you will start to be able to understand the difference between a story that is helping someone get it and a story that isn't. But this is the only method I have for you this is the only method I have ever succeeded with. That as soon as a method becomes a process, an actual step-by-step approach, it ceases to work. Because we've heard it all before. And so what's going to work, what's going to get past where someone is stuck, is our ability to tell them a story that they can't say to themselves, oh, I've heard that one before. You just got to keep trying them. And I might try 10, 20, 30, 40 a day. Often, because I have enough experience, I can try them on myself. I can hear whether they hold water or not. But still, to this day, some of the best stories I've got don't work because they're not really the best stories I've got. They're just stories that worked on me. Hi, Seth. It's Martin in the UK. Thanks for your recent episode about search and Google and Ecosia. You mentioned almost in passing that you thought Google could be doing so much more about climate change. And yet when I look at their homepage, at least in the UK, it has a link to some information that indicates they've been carbon neutral since 2007. So specifically on that point, I'm curious what um, prompted you to make that comment, but more generally, whether you have a method for telling fact from fiction on the internet Thanks for the podcast. It's uh, one of my favorite lessons. Thank you for this one, Martin. There are two parts to your question. The first one is, how do we tell facts and truth on the internet? I'll start with that one, which is, well, how do we tell facts and truth anywhere? Are facts true? Is true true? Is knowing the temperature an accurate way to know how hot it is outside? Well, often it is but sometimes it's not that we take the physical world facts in quotation marks about the physical world statistics probabilities distributions and we process them through our storytelling machine and more and more in our post-sciency world people are using that storytelling machine to change how they feel and so everything's a placebo or a nocebo we are surrounded by stories that are changing our emotions And I know it is way more reliable as a mechanical engineer to be able to look something up in a table and know for sure. There aren't a lot of debates in the engineering world about whether a bridge will fall down or not because it can be measured and it can be tested and it's true or it's not. But some of the most important things in our lives aren't bridges in the actual literal sense. They're more figurative than that. And they are about the stories we tell ourselves, which leads to this idea of Google, Google with 95% market share, Google, a company that makes billions and billions of dollars in profit on a regular basis. Google does part of this by having slightly better computers that do slightly better search with slightly better algorithms. But we know from tests that people prefer Google results to Bing results if they're formatted like Google, but they prefer Bing results when they're formatted like Google as well. That the way we feel about Google changes our expectation of what we're getting from Google, which leads to this idea of whether or not it's okay for Google to simply be carbon neutral. Because we all know that Exxon and British Petroleum and Shell will never be carbon neutral because their entire business is taking stuff from deep underground stuff that's worth trillions of dollars and turning it into gases that change our climate. It doesn't matter how hard they try. As long as they keep doing what they're doing, they're not going to be carbon neutral. So then when a company like Google comes along, Google, which has all the smart people, all the time and all the money in the world, is carbon neutral enough? Is it sufficient to earn them the benefit of the doubt and the story we've been telling ourselves. They are a monopolistic company. They are imperious. They make decisions behind the scenes that break the hearts and the business models of their partners. They are not blameless in many of the things they do. They're also a miracle that Google search has transformed the way people discover things about the world. There's no doubt about it. But I think they've been asking to be held to a much higher standard than an oil company. And part of being held to that higher standard, I think, is that a link on their website saying that they are carbon neutral is insufficient. That if they are not making things dramatically better as one of the side effects of the work that they are doing, they are probably not doing enough. But that's just my rant. Your mileage may vary. Thanks. We'll see you next time. it's not too late. Hey, it's Seth. About 16 years ago, I wrote my first post about climate change. And since then, every single metric has gotten worse. But it's not too late. What we need to do is shift it from a me problem to a we problem. And my new project is not my new project. It's our new project. More than 300 volunteers from 40 countries around the world have spent the last bunch of months, putting together The Carbon Almanac. It's not coming out till June, but you, my loyal Akimbo listeners, I wanted you to see it and hear about it. First, check out thecarbonalmanac.org for all the details. Thank you for caring enough to make a difference.